I taught some time ago. I preached a message in the end of 2016, a series of messages on the kingdom. How many remember that series? And I taught in one of those messages about the tension of the kingdom of God. And in that message, I taught about the already but not yet tension of the kingdom. How many remember that? Already but not yet. How that the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is already established. But how many would agree there are some aspects and some prophetic promises regarding the kingdom that have yet to be fulfilled? There must be a fulfillment of and a fullness of the kingdom that has yet to be demonstrated. And we taught in that message, and I'm just reminding you as a matter of constructing a framework for this message today, the kingdom of God is here but has not been manifested in total fulfillment. It will be and it shall be. They just haven't happened yet. Because Revelation says the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not panicked about tomorrow. I've already read the back of the book. And we're going to win. The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. So it is an already but not yet revelation of the kingdom that helps us to construct a proper framework for this message today. The kingdom is not just coming, it's already here. But it's not just here, it's also coming. Within the framework of the kingdom and the already not yet revelation of the kingdom, I want to talk about what we have been discussing for the last several weeks, and that is the king in you and I. Now, we have talked about the kingdom, but how many know in order for the kingdom to operate in the way God designed it to operate, you've got to have a king who knows how to rule well. Say this, there is a king in me because there is a king in me. I taught it last Sunday, and I think some people just kept missing it through the semantic layers of confusion that it might produce, but I want you to consider what I just said. There's a king in you because there's a king in you. You, you, you have to adjust how you understand yourself. You cannot just perceive yourself as a member of a church sitting on a pew. That's why they call it a pew. Because if you sit there long enough, you start stinking. It's not just that we are members of a church. It's not even that we're just sinners saved by grace. I remind you what the Bible says. Jesus said in Revelation 1 and John said in Revelation 5, God made you and I both kings and priests unto God. It's why 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says you are a royal priesthood. You are kingly priests. You are not just church members. You're not just stepchildren. You're not just wannabes or should have beens or has beens. You washed in the blood this morning who are filled with the spirit of God are kings and priests. And you're not just signing up to get to heaven one day and avoid hell and dip your toes in the beautiful river of life. You are going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years and then throughout eternity. You have a prophetic destiny that has already been declared. And life is about getting you ready to reign. You're training to reign. He declares you and I as kings and priests now. 
But he also says that you will rule over much in your eternal future. How many remember the scripture in Matthew where he says, he'll look at them and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over much. How many know it pays to be faithful? Oh, Jesus. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over much. Watch this. God calls you a king and a priest now. He calls you a king and a priest now, and yet you and I have not totally mastered or manifested what he calls us. We haven't totally mastered or manifested the king in us yet. But he trusts the abundance of his grace in us to the point that he is willing to call us something we haven't totally mastered or manifested yet. How could he call you and I who are washed in the blood yet still screwed up? Okay, I, if you're going to look at me like you already arrived, I'm not going to be able to help you much today. How many can agree with me he calls us sometimes names that we haven't quite lived up to? How many, oh yes, how many are thankful he calls you what you haven't mastered yet? How could he call you a king and a priest and you got issues and you got stuff and you got problems and you got things you're dealing with? I'll tell you how. It's not that he trusts me and you. It's that he trusts the riches of his grace working down on the inside of us that although I am not what I'm going to be, I can celebrate I'm not who I used to be. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't judge me yet. Come on, don't judge me yet. I know that I may not look like a king sitting here, but I'm a king in progress. And God has already declared me somebody. And whether you see it or not, grace is working down on the inside of me. And, oh my God, I'm getting excited right here. I got to calm down. Let me say it like this. I am becoming who I already am. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I am becoming. I feel like somebody's getting ready to get set free right here in the intro of this sermon. I am becoming, come on, tell them, who I already am. Warm up the robe. Warm up the shoes. Get my seat ready. I am becoming who I already am. And that's why he can look at you and call you a king and a priest and you got issues. Because his trust is not in your willpower that you're going to one day get it together. My God, I feel like walking around here. His trust is not in my ability to be faithful. His trust in the process is that grace will always conquer and where sin does abound, grace is at work much more abounding. Now, this is all an introduction for you to understand that the text before us today shows us the nature of the king. If we're going to reign in the future and share in his authority, it will be because now we embrace him and share in his nature. Let me say it like this very, very succinctly. You will not share in his authority if you do not share in his nature. I didn't get no help on that right there. 
You can't have his power if you don't have his heart. There's a lot of illegal activity going on in the kingdom. People prancing around calling themselves things and identifying themselves and entitling themselves with titles just because we think it gives them credibility. I want you to understand you can call yourself an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a doctor, a bishop, an archbishop, but if you don't have the nature of the king, you are illegal. You are, y'all not helping nobody, but I'm telling some truth in here today. You are operating illegally if you're claiming his power, but you don't want to share in his nature. You can't be arrogant and anointed. You can't be arrogant and anointed. You got seven people in your church, five of them are your family, and you got 12 security guards. Something wrong with you. Something is wrong. At some point, I don't want to be touched. You are no better than Jesus. Jesus could be touched. If you're not willing to be touched, go sell cars behind the phone. But don't get into the ministry because the ministry means you're going to be humble. People are looking at me confused right now. This is because there's such foolishness going on in the kingdom. You can't have the authority of the king without the without the nature of the king. And the text before us today is getting ready to, it's a, okay, thank you, Lord. It's a training manual for kings. Matthew 21 is a training manual for how kings should operate. And if you and I are going to be kings and priests, we need to go to school today. And we need to open to Matthew 21 and let the king train us in how to be the kind of king he's called us to be. First thing I want you to see when you look at Matthew 21, there are three quick things that lead to something much larger. And I want to briefly go through those three things that, that highlight and illustrate to us the nature of the king so that we can embrace this in our heart and get our act together. Look at somebody and say, get your act together. I got, I got some, I got, it was humorous. I got some texts and emails this past week from some wives. And they were like, can you fix my husband? After your sermon on kings, they've been making decrees all week long. I decree you're going to make me a sandwich. Come on, I decree you're going to make some. That is not what I was talking about. <laughs> I tried that seven years ago and it didn't work then and it don't work now. <laughs> Matthew 21 is a training manual for how kings should operate. If you're going to be a king and a priest of God, you have to have the nature of Jesus. So the first thing that I want you to see from the text in Matthew 21 is the obedient nature of Christ the king. Now, please put this into perspective with me. Jesus is getting ready to come into the city of Jerusalem. He has healed the lame, cast out devils, raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, turned water into wine, multiplied two fish and five loaves, and fed 5,000 people. Miracle after miracle, every city he went into, he turned it upside down. Every funeral he went to, he put the funeral home out of business. The man is a one-man devil-wrecking crew. He knows he's the king. In fact, Nicodemus said in John chapter 3 that every Pharisee knows you're the king because no one could do these miracles except God be with him. If I knew that much that I was a king, 
I probably would have wanted to enter into the city on my own terms. You know, I am the king. So could you get me a steaming white stallion? In our vernacular, I would have said, can you give me an S class? Y'all not being real. A Mercedes S class. Come on, I want to go into the city in style, but I want you to pay careful attention to the nature of Jesus. Jesus is not concerned or consumed with going into the city in style. In fact, before he goes into the city and moves forward into his purpose, he runs back into the prophet of Zechariah's book and he says, there's a certain way I've got to enter this situation. The king understands that if I'm going to get the job done, I've got to do it the way the one who sent me told me to do it. I can't enter into the city on my own terms. I've got to obey my way into, God, I wish I had some help right here. I've got to obey my way into my destiny. You can obey your way into your royal destiny. There are too many disobedient so-called kings in the kingdom. Let me help you, and I know I'm not trying to hurt nobody's feelings, and if you came at 9 o'clock, you are really saved. I know you are really saved. To get here this early, you are for real saved. But I want to make sure we all understand, and especially preachers who are watching me on Monday morning, I want to remind everybody that when you got saved and signed up to follow Jesus, it wasn't so that you could create your own customized Christianity. Where my help go? Where my help go? You can't, this is not customizable Christianity. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Now let me hook you up with some information on how I want this to go. When you get saved, you are a, I know you're a son and a daughter, but spiritually you are also a servant. And when you are a servant, it means that your will has been swallowed up by the will of a greater authority. The kingdom is not Burger King. It is the king of kings. It is not your way. It is his way. I'm getting ready to say something that's going to offend 37% of the people in this room. Most of the stuff we spend our time rebuking as an attack from the devil is really nothing more than a reaction of our own disobedience. Oh, let me rewind that because I see some offense. Most of the time we spend our stuff, spend our time rebuking problems that are not the devil. They're not even resistance from hell. They are the result of our own disobedience. And we got people in the church, come on, you getting ready to break through. You ain't getting ready to break through. Not with a disobedient spirit you're not getting ready to break through. The only thing that needs to get broke is that mess off your life so that you can walk in the way of the Lord and say, it ain't me, it ain't my way. It's the king and I want to go his way. Jesus was obedient. The obedient, watch, the obedient shall eat the good. (sighs) The obedient shall eat the good of the land. Don't get bitter when you see people walking in favor. Don't get bitter when you see people walking in the blessing. You don't know what they denied and crucified to walk in it. Jesus was obedient. I got to hurry. The second thing he was, he was compassionate. He was compassionate. Can you imagine Jesus getting ready to die? Roll up in the city and the first thing he cares about is a tied up donkey. 
kind of craziness is this. The king was so in touch that he was cognizant and aware that a donkey and her coat were tied up on the outside of the city. Where are the compassionate people in the church who are concerned about the tied up ones? Well, Brother Wallace, I'm busy. I don't, I'm not asking you to provide me with excuses. Where are the compassionate people who can be touched with the feeling of others' infirmities? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, the man that was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. The Bible said he fell among thieves. In the book of Luke, he fell among thieves, was stripped, beaten, and left for dead. A priest walked by and looked at him and kept on walking to the temple. A Levite went by and looked at him and kept on walking. But a Samaritan dropped by and saw him hurting. And the Bible said he poured out wine into his wounds and oil, bound up his wounds, put him on his donkey, sent him to the hotel, and paid the bill. The Levite and the priest were on their way to the temple to minister. The question is not, are you on your way to minister? The question is, are you ministering while you're on your way? Well, I'm in a hurry. I've got an appointment. I don't care. Who did you pass on your way that needed the anointing that God put in you? Compassion. When's the last time we wept with someone weeping? When's the last time our heart broke with someone else's who's breaking? If you cannot be touched with the infirmities, weaknesses, and pain of others, you are not qualified to reign as a king of God. Because the kind of king that he, the kind of nation of kings that he is raising up are a compassionate tribe of people. And this arrogant, flippant, disconnected expression of Christian authority and triumphalism, it is absolutely a fraud. It's a fraud. When's the last time you cried? Well, Brother Wallace, I got the joy of the Lord. I'm thankful for it. There's enough plight and pain in America to send us all to our knees. He was humble. He was obedient. He was compassionate. Finally, the Bible says he was lowly. He was humble. Imagine this, a humble king. Coming in on a donkey? Are you for real? He un Watch. Hey, let me go back. He untied the donkey and the baby. Oh, God, if I had time to preach, Dr. Barker, if I had time to preach. When God starts moving, it's a generational move. He could have just watched. Don't miss it. The mother, watch, the mother had been broken in and had already experienced her prime. The baby had never been rode on by a man before and was next. Jesus decides to take now and next with him. Any move of God that doesn't include a now generation and a next generation is a fraudulent move of God. The move of God that is happening on this earth, don't miss it, is for sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, old men dreaming dreams, young men having vision. This is a multi-generational God. I feel like preaching at 9 a.m. today. 
My God, there were young people up here dancing and there were 70-year-old women who couldn't move as quick as they used to, but they were... Why? Because the pouring out of the Holy Ghost in this hour is for your family, your children, your children's children, great-grandchildren. Oh, God, send us an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's a multi-generational thing. He loosed the mom and the baby. He said, bring them to me. And then you see this. The Bible said he came in riding a donkey and was lowly, not highly. Lonely. An earmark of true Jesus-centered, spirit-filled believers is one of humility. Amen. He came in on a donkey's baby. That would be, that's crazy. Kings don't walk into cities, prance into cities on donkeys. Kings come in on white horses, war horses, prancing in pomp and circumstance and glitz and glamour. And the king is here. May we announce it. And no, not Jesus. He literally went to the alley of Jerusalem when he went to Bethphage, loosed the donkey and the baby, and intentionally sat himself on the most unassuming, least likely candidate to usher a king in in the entire New Testament. Why? Number one, prophetic fulfillment because Zechariah said so. Secondly, it was a demonstration that my kingship is not attached to what I have or what I flaunt. In fact, I'm getting ready to be Jehovah Sneaky. Je Come on, touch your neighbor, tell him he's Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> I'm coming in not on a stallion. I'm coming in on a donkey because I want anybody that follows me not to see the king in me for what I'm riding on. I want him to see the king in me because of who I am and what kind of nature i got on the inside of me. See, when you're really a king, riding a donkey doesn't make you not a king. And when you're not a king, riding a stallion doesn't make you a king. If you're a king, it don't matter what you ride in on as long as you ride in and you know that God is the king inside of you. Jesus. Now that was all the introduction. We're almost through. He comes in humble. He comes in obedient. And he comes in compassionate. When you come into a city with humility, compassion, and obedient, you can shake the city. I'm getting ready to tear something up in here. I feel like tearing something up at 9 a.m. this morning. I want you to take your Bible. Let me teach this, then I'll see where it goes. You got to look at this. I found something this week. Ooh, I found something. Shook me. I tried to tell Devin she didn't get so excited about it. So I don't know if you will either. Maybe it was just for me and I shouldn't preach it. It was good. 
You didn't act like it. <laughs> I thought you'd give me at least a little offering for it or something. Okay, watch. 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 <laughs> yep. Come on back here. Come on back here, 9 a.m. We don't talk in code. Come on. <laughs> Y'all done? All right, let's go on, okay? Look at verse number 10. This is a hoot. Look at verse number 10. Here. He came in how? Humble, compassionate, obedient. Say it again. He came in humble, compassionate, and say, God is training me to be a king who operates in humility, obedience, and compassion. If you come into a city in obedience, humility, and compassion, you are qualified to shake a city. Look at it. I'm getting ready to blow your mind. Verse 10. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was what? Stop. I've read that scripture 700 times in my life and never, ever caught the whole city was moved. So I went and looked at the word moved. It's only used four times in the entire New Testament. You know what the word moved is in the Greek? It's seis. S-E-I-S. Does it sound familiar? Where we get the word seismology or seismograph. It's the shaking. It's what measures an earthquake. Don't miss it. When Jesus came in obedience, humility, and compassion... He didn't have to make some pompous scene of himself. The father went before him and shook. Literally, that's what the Bible said. It shook and moved the whole city. You're responding like Devin. Here's my point. We want to shake cities and we think it's about how loud we shout and the inflection of our voice and the power in our voice and the demonstration of our hands and I'm very demonstrative and I'm very loud although I try not to be. But that's not what gives us the authority to shake Chattanooga as kings and priests. What gives us the authority to shake this city is compassion, obedience, and humility. The whole city was moved, shaken. It shook Jerusalem. And this is where it gets crazy. And when revelation starts flowing, you start seeing things through a lens that you never were allowed to see it through previously. Same text, but new revelation because the lens through which you perceive the text has now been granted by God. We've been talking about seats. How many remember the sermon three weeks ago? You have my seat. Right? And then last week we talked about the king in you. Okay, so watch this. Keep reading the story. This is bizarre. He went into the temple to rebuke, to realign, to get the father's house in order. 
Let me help you understand something. You cannot fix a church if you don't have humility, obedience, and compassion. These parking lot prophets who come up to churches and rebuke everybody and have no relationship and they don't know anything and they're arrogant and pompous and unsubmitted and they don't have a pastor and they, I'm God's man of faith and power. You are not. Sit down. If you can't submit to a pastor, you're certainly not qualified to rebuke a congregation. Say amen. Every time somebody gives you a microphone, you've got to rebuke everybody. Because they all got problems, it usually means that you've got one you're not dealing with. Humble, compassionate, obedient. That qualified him to walk into a city and shake it. And it also qualified him to walk into the temple and put that thing in order. Now here's what I want to tell you. Just because you're humble don't mean you're not intense. Oh, Jesus. Soft hand Jesus. No, no, no. He was a carpenter who whittled a whip, walked into the temple. Look at your Bible. He started turning over tables. <laughs> Peter said, yo, James, I ain't never seen this one before. My man is for real ticked off. Why? Because the destiny of the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. And corrupt men had, what, don't miss this, I never saw this till this week in study. You may have saw it and preached it and wrote a book on it and I'm grateful for you, but I haven't seen it until this week. The Bible said he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those Who's so, look at your neighbor, tell him you have my seat. That's what's going on here. Men who were selling the dove. I'm getting ready to say something. Men who were selling the dove, sitting in an illegal seat, got evicted from the temple. And I came by as I go change my clothes for second service in a few moments to tell somebody there are some illegal people operating in the house of the Lord that have merchandised the dove. And God needs their seat. Look at your neighbor, tell them God's getting ready to take some seats back. God's getting ready to take some seats back in the temple. The Holy Ghost cannot be caged up and put on a table. Somebody got to help me let the dove loose this morning. Slap your neighbor, tell a neighbor, let the dove loose this morning. Let the dove loose this morning. I know you came from a religious church that don't believe in the Holy Ghost, but let the dove loose this morning. I know, God, I know we've been taught and trained that movement of God isn't necessary to build the church anymore, but I still believe the temple is a place where the dove should be loose. Oh, God, somebody got to loose the dove. Slap your neighbor, tell a neighbor, loose the dove.
Loose the dove. Loose the dove so that the blind see. Loose the dove so that the lame walk. Loose the dove so that the drug addict gets delivered. Loose the dove so that families get healed. Somebody holler, loose the dove. I'm through. But God is about to come back into the temple through a tribe of consecrated, humble, obedient, compassionate kings and priests. And he's about to start taking seats back. You're going to see, and I feel a prophetic thing on me right now, you're going to see a shift coming in the great kingdom of God worldwide. And men and women who cage the dove and refuse to let him loose are going to be given another seat so that seats in the house of the Lord can be released. This, I, I, I know that we are raising up a tribe of informed, educated, trained people, and I embrace it all. I have been trained, I have been educated, and I have been informed. I'm not just an ignorant Pentecostal. So let's just establish that, okay? I, I, I believe in education, but I want to tell you something. We have started trusting more in our own selves than we do in God. It's called idolatry. I am terribly concerned that if we're not careful, our services and churches will be run by humanistic philosophy rather than the impetus and the suddenly of the Holy Ghost. I have nothing wrong with doing things decently and in order. Please understand me. Things should be done with excellence. I think what happened in this house today was a perfect expression of how things can be practiced and done for the glory of God and done in excellence. But at any time the river takes a diversion and God wants to go somewhere we didn't know we were going, we just put our sail in the direction of the Spirit and say, lead us, Jesus. I do not claim that we have it all together here. Neither am I suggesting that we have all of our ducks in a row. I'm not even trying to present to you that I am some kind of leader who has found uh, 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 DeSoto's fountain of spiritual truth and now I'll never have nothing else to learn. Please understand me. I am a work in process. This house is a work in process and we have much to do for the glory of God. But I want to tell you that one of the non-negotiables of this house, no matter how many services and campuses and, 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 and anything, else he allows us to build and anything else he allows us to expand to may it always be that the dove is loose in every house we have in every service we go to and every time we gather may the dove of God be loose in the house how Shamaya, I felt that on my back right there I felt him come up on me may the dove of heaven be released in the house of the my God, I feel like running the city hall on Sunday morning. We need the dove to be released. And I want you to know this morning that if you want the dove to be released, you got to give him the green light. Because don't ever think for one moment you are big enough 
or smart enough or connected enough to put God in a box. The moment you think you have God in a box is the moment you find out you are without him and in a box of your own. What God is doing is looking for a tribe of humble, compassionate, obedient priests and kings who have the ability to walk into a city and shake a city and turn seats over until heaven invades earth. There is a change happening in the mindset of believers. We are not here holding on, taking communion, hiding behind these four walls from the big bad devil until Jesus raptures the church out of the earth. I do believe in the rapture. I do believe we're all going to heaven. I do believe the Lord is going to return. But I believe in the crescendo of the kingdom. What is the crescendo of the kingdom? It means that until he comes, we're not getting less and less kingdom-oriented. We're becoming more and more kingdom-oriented. We're not getting less anointed and less powerful and less victorious. We're not going to cross the finish line dragging our lips saying, Woe is me. Farther along, we'll know all about it. My Bible said in the book of Jude, chapter, chapter 1, verse 19, 20, and 21, that when Jesus returns, he is able to present us to the Father with exceeding great joy. We're not crossing the finish line barely. We're crossing the finish line saying, look what the Lord has done. Look what he done in my generation. Look what he did in my city. Look what he did in my family. God's, oh God. Humble, obedient, compassionate kings who can rule well. Can God trust me with the authority to shake a city. I get the privilege every now and then of going out and preaching to other places. I'm, I'm really grateful when I get to do that, just pin my ears back and go for it and meet new people and get connected. I, I love that. But my assignment in life is between that ridge and those mountains and that river to see this city shaken for the glory of God. The surrounding region belongs to the Lord. I can't speak because I'm not necessarily sent and assigned to certain places, but I'm sent and assigned to this city. And there are other people sent and assigned. And we're, listen, if you know anything about me, I want to be a kingdom man, not a redemption to the nation's man. I didn't get no help right there. I want to be a kingdom man because if I spend my time trying to advance his kingdom, he'll spend his time trying to bless my church. So when we have Good Friday service, I'm not preaching. Intentionally. I invited seven other preachers in because number one, I like hearing other preachers. Number two, it's not about me sporting around in our pulpit and I get to do that every Sunday. It's about opening the doors to other churches so that, listen, the believers in this city stop competing and start completing. Yes. 
And I want you to get more patriotic about the kingdom than you do about your local church. Oh, I want you to get more patriotic about the king, your kingdom than you do your favorite political platform. I'm offended. It took me that long. Shoot. If we had people in the church as passionate about the kingdom as they were their party, boy, I know how to tick them all off. But I'm going to tell you right now, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back after a Republican church or a Democratic church or a white church or, say amen, or a black church. He's coming back after a nation of kings and priests who he brought out of darkness and put in his marvelous light. My God, let's get our act together. Let's be leaders. Stand with me, I'm through preaching. He's training us how to reign. How many need him to train you? I mean, come on, how many, how many got some room for growth in the area of compassion, obedience, come on, humility? <laughs> when I came into this city, Five years ago, and I was born and raised several blocks from here. So when someone says, oh, this guy came out of nowhere and he's just sort of taking over. No, I'm not taking over, number one. He's taking over. And number two, I'm not just somebody that came out of nowhere. I was born a few blocks from here over on East 34th Street across the street from the White Star Laundry and behind the KC Quick Stop in a little white house that now stands to be condemned and tore down. When God brought us back here several years ago, we were in a real season of momentum in our church and things were growing. And I thought that's why he brought us back because we're in a season of momentum and real growth. And I figured out real quick, this city don't care about our momentum and our growth. They're not, they're not really concerned about how we've turned a corner and made some real advancements in certain areas of our church. You know what they were concerned about? Do you love us? Do you care about our kids? Are you going to be one of those preachers that blow in, blow up, and blow out? I told you this story. When we first bought this building, what, five years ago now? I sat at the bus stop right out here on the corner of the church property. There's a bus stop. Car that picks up people from... Um, from our property here. And I sat out there one day in blue jeans, or actually shorts, flip-flops, a T-shirt, and a hat, and some Ray-Ban sunglasses. I look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> At least in my mind, I look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> they probably didn't think I looked like Tom Cruise, but I felt pretty Tom Cruise-like in my heart. It's all that counts is what's in the heart. <laughs> and I'm sitting out there, and... Um, all these people come getting on the bus, and I just start talking to people. Hey, what do you know about that? And I'm already, we just bought the building, y'all. I'm trying to figure out what the city thought about the people in the church. We didn't have anybody here yet. I'm just trying to figure out what is the city thinking about this place. So I'm sitting out there, and I don't look like pastor. I just look like a dude. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, hey, sweetheart, what do you think about this church? Have you ever been here? I thought about coming, and I just want to say, oh, no. 
I'll never go back into that church, she said. Them's the meanest people I ever met in my life. I'm telling you what she said. And I'm like, oh, God, I just bought the building. Another guy said, that's a big, I'm just telling you what they told me, okay? That's a big white building. Big white building. And that's all that's welcomed in there, he said. I'm thinking, this is not my heart. My heart is not a big white building with a lot of white people. My heart is to see a big white building filled with people from all over. Every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, God, would you please do this? You know what I had to do? What we had to do? What we started doing, that small group of 250 people five years ago when we were in this room? We just started knocking on doors, sharing the love of Jesus. And the lo- not even trying to win people to the Lord. Just let them know we're here and we love you. I'll never forget. Who was on? J- Josh, you were there. We, we knocked on a sweet lady's door. Marlon and Crystal were there that day. We knocked on her door. Her name was Doris. It was her birthday. No, no, it wasn't her birthday. We knocked on her door to let her know we were there. She was very skeptical of us. She looked me up and down. Okay, well, it's been nice knowing you too, you know, that kind of feeling. I walked away and she began to pour her heart out to Crystal. She began to share how she was an alcoholic and her whole family was on drugs and she felt hopeless and she said, yeah, and tomorrow's my birthday. Crystal and some of the other young ladies from the staff went and bought her a birthday cake. I'll never forget this as long as I live. They went and bought her a birthday cake and went to her front door the next day, knocked on her door and sang happy birthday to her, where she began to weep. And she said, no one has ever remembered my birthday. The next Sunday, Doris came into this church and gave her heart to Jesus. We're going to shake a city not because we're mighty and because our pastor is loud. I'm loud. I'm trying to not to be, but I'm loud. But we're going to shake a city because we're obedient, we're humble, and we love people. That's the recipe for shaking a city. Kings. You want to make a difference? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You want to shake a city? It's not just about falling out and speaking in tongues in here. We do that and we should. But it's also about starting reading labs so that our girls and boys can read on their appropriate grade level. See, I didn't get no help right there except two or three amens and a few head shakes. But I want to tell you, people of the kingdom do not just... Do not just invade with a spiritual word. They come and make a difference in the life of the citizens. Chattanooga should be a better place to live because redemption to the nation showed up. So whenever I stand up and say, we're going to raise a million four hundred thousand dollars to renovate a youth complex. Well, we ought to feed the poor. We're going to do that too. But I want a place for our sons and daughters to go to to have after school opportunities. 
Well, you need to get the gangs dried up. Well, give them a place to go so they don't have to run to the gang house. My Lord, what's wrong, church? So I challenge you today. Be strong. Keep your anointing. Speak in tongues. Lay hands on the sick. Cast out devils. But be compassionate. Be humble. Obey the scriptures. Obey the scriptures. Can we just get back to obeying the word of God? It would do such wonders for us if we would live according to the book. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask a question today. If there is someone, I, I know it's 9 o'clock and I know it's early and I know that maybe this is a time that most would say the real committed of our church would come to a 9 o'clock service. But maybe there's a person in this room today who would say, Pastor Kevin, you know, I'm not ready to meet the Lord. I'm not saved and I need Jesus to save me today. And I want to tell you right now while you're standing in here, if you're here, if you're in this room and you're not right with God and Jesus is not your Savior, this is not just a coincidence that you came. This is a divine moment of opportunity for you. Just like you are. In the condition you walked into this room in, number one, you need to know that God loves you just like that. And number two, you need to know we love you like that. You don't have to go home and get stuff in order and come back next week and feel like you got cleaned up enough to be a part. Just like you are, we want you to be a part of this family, and Jesus wants to save you. So I'm going to count to three for anybody in this room who wants to serve God and live for Jesus, to go to heaven and not hell and live in the light and not in the dark, to walk in the favor and not in the curse. If you want to say yes to the Lord, when I say three, just shoot your hand up. Say, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to give my heart to Jesus today. I feel the Lord is moving right now in someone's heart. When I say three, lift your hand up. I'm talking to you and you want to get right with God. One, two, three. Lift your hand right now. Anyone in this room who would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. Thank you, sweetheart. I see that hand. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. You can put your hands down. Everyone look at me. Here's how we do this at RTTN. I want you to look at your neighbor in just a moment. You probably have known them most all of your life. But if you've never met them before, or if you've known them your whole life, I want you to ask them this question in just a second on both sides of you. Say, do you need someone to go to the altar with you and pray? And if you lifted your hand or you know in your heart you should have, when, they, when you ask them that question, if they say yes, and they need someone to pray with them. Would you come down here with them? I'm going to stand right here. Some of the leaders of our church are going to come and we're going to pray with you right now. Would you ask the person on your left and right right now? Come on. Do you need someone to go pray with you? And if you lifted your hand or you should have, would you come out of your seat right now? I want to give my heart to Jesus right now. I think I see some people coming in the back and I'm so glad about it. I'm so glad about it. Come on. This is fantastic. Come on. Come on, sweetheart. Come on, sir. This is fantastic. Come on. I want, I want you to come home. This is home. They're coming. They're coming. Come on. Come on. This is something angels get excited about. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Anybody else? Come on, man. There's room. That's right. Come on, pal. Come on. Come on, bro. Come on. We love you, Lord. Pastor Gary, come help me. Elders, come help me. Stretch your hands toward them, and for just a second, would you pray real gently, but with real 
fervent prayer right now like someone, like you wish somebody would pray for you the day you got saved. Come on, just pray for them right now, Jesus. Touch their lives. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there. Hallelujah. Sing it again at the cross. Come on. At the cross. Receive my sight. Oh, yes. And now. Come on. Everyone who's thankful for this salvation, sing it one last time at the cross. brothers and sisters this morning. I want to I say to you that it's very important to us that you be a part of the family, not just come to church, although we're grateful if you just come to church. I want you to be, be uh, welcome and feel like this is home. But some of us in this room today need to take the next step in our purpose and in our destiny. I believe your purpose and your destiny are connected to the house of the Lord. If it's not this house, I pray God lead you to the kind of place that he wants you to plant you, your life, and your family in. But if you don't have a place to plant your family and your heart in and a place that you call your home church, we want you to know Redemption to the Nation's Church is here to serve you and your family and to provide Christian training, a place of worship, and a move of God that you and your family can receive from God in. And I want to invite you, next month is going to be like every month, We'll be giving the date for our connect track and that's how you and your family find out what's going on what we believe and how to be a part so I hope you'll take advantage of that join be a part sing in the choir be a part of the fit team work in the children's department there's so many places to serve and we want you to be plugged in serving I want to say this before we leave uh, while they continue to pray I pastored this church for 15 years and um, We've been very blessed, tremendously blessed in our journey uh, with some fantastic leaders and people who have done amazing things for God. And in this season of transition that I have been in, that we have been in in this last year, leaving uh, a denomination and embracing God's will for us to step out into something um, that was unknown to us and was new to us, this has been a year of tremendous transition. It's not only been a year of transition in the sense that we left our denomination and moved into something we had never moved into before, but even in our leadership team at this church, there have been a number of transitions. In fact, 
In the last four months, we have been through 10 transitions. Of the 38 employees that we had before we left, we're, we're at 28 employees now. Now, I knew we were going to lose and transition some people. I was totally aware that was going to happen when we consolidated the one campus. But in December of last year, God told me, he said, you just sit in this office and watch what I need to do, and I'm going to take care of it and line it up. And family, in three months, we transitioned 10 people. I've never transitioned 10 people in 15 years, much less three months. But here's what I want to say. This house will never be measured by how many people it keeps. It will always be measured by how many people we launch out and we send. And we have seen God. We have seen God do some amazing things in the last several months in terms of realignment and putting people in a place he has called them to. And I know that there may be concern. There may be what's going on, Pastor. I can't do anything but trust God. God has arranged this. God has lined it up. And I'm just trying to let God do what God's wanting to do. I pray that you'll pray for every person involved. Many of them have launched out into something they didn't even know what God was calling them to. They just felt like God was calling them. And if you will notice, 95% of them are still in this house even though they moved on from our office. That says something about this house and it says something about the people who have been on our team. I love every one of them. I honor every one of them. And Devin and I want to be responsible for pulling them back in a slingshot and launching them into whatever God has for them wherever that may be. So I hope you'll help me pray for them. I hope you'll understand that God is still on the throne. We're still moving forward, and the best is still yet to come for this house. If you believe that, say praise the Lord. Let me bless you. And then remember, we, y'all, did we do it? One minute and 30 seconds left. I need someone to give God a praise break right there. Come on. That was a, no, this is a miracle. I need somebody to give God a praise right there. The logistics team are turning cartwheels right now somewhere. Lift your hands in a receiving position. Dr. Barker, would you come and offer a benediction over our people today? I want you to pray and bless them before they leave. And remember, after he prays, I want you to go out the side wings. Get your babies, if they're in the nursery that way, children's department that way. We have a lobby full of people who we cannot uh, ask to move to go out that way. So we're going to go out the sides. Second service is coming in the middle. I love you all. Dr. Barker. What an awesome service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the prophetic word that we received today. We ask that you'd cover this people like a blanket. Lord, let everything they touch this week double. We speak that over their life. Decree this house shall multiply around the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.